taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, starting at chapter 5 with verse 20 only, and then moving into chapter 6. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. It's getting chilly that I'm putting this on this morning, but uh, just to try and say something about uh, what that passage of Scripture is about in Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6. Whenever God created everything, there was complete harmony. And uh, so heaven and earth were completely zipped up. The first two chapters of Genesis tell us this reality. What does it look like whenever all of God's creation, all of the cosmos, is completely under the life-giving, protective rule of God? There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no disappointment. There are no tears. There's no disease. It is just everything is in order. Everything is right. Everything is under God's life-giving, protective rule. Heaven and earth 
are completely intertwined, completely married. The zip is completely done up. There is complete integration. The Bible then tells us that human beings decided that although they've been given this wonderful mandate to have the privilege and responsibility to rule over God's creation and to be fruitful and multiply and to, to rule over the animals and the fish and the birds, not in a domineering way, but in a way of service and love and to help develop the beauty of God's creation. And then human beings decided, we decided that we didn't want the responsibility. We wanted the privilege of being like God, but we didn't want the responsibility of being like God as a worker, as a servant, living for the good of others, living for the good of creation. And so there was the great catastrophe of Genesis chapter 3. There was the separation of heaven and earth. Because in Genesis 2, that lovely picture conjured up by the writer that describes God walking in the garden of Eden in the cool of the day and having a conversation with Adam and Eve is the wonderful picture of complete harmony, that human beings are able to hear the voice of God and converse with God as if he's walking through the garden of Eden in the cool of the day. There's just perfect harmony. But of course, we hear in Genesis chapter 3 that God calls out because he's, where, where have the human beings gone to? They've, they've left their station. They're not where they're meant to be. They're hiding. They're not fulfilling their responsibility because they've, they've sought to be like God but not to have the loving heart and responsibility that God has. They wanted the power, but they wanted to serve themselves with the power. And so the great fracture, the great fall from grace came, the great separation of heaven and earth came. And so, so that human beings couldn't grasp immortality and live forever as broken individuals in a broken creation, God barred them from access to the tree of the knowledge of life. He barred them from, from everlasting life. And instead what he did was he, he issued a number of curses. And the curses were really just expressions of what already had happened. The ground was cursed because no longer was the life-giving protective rule of God in place. And so everything was going to gradually go to pot. But the idea of God issuing those curses in Genesis chapter 2 is an act of mercy. So that human beings would realize that there's more to life than what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and touch. That this is not just what we were made for. We were made for much more than this. And so God's saying, you will find deep frustration now in the midst of your life, in the brokenness of fallen creation. is an act of mercy by God. Because in the brokenness of it all, we yearn for God. We cry out to God. We realize there must be more 
to life than this, where we encounter death and disappointment and disease and unfaithfulness and brokenness and all sorts of other things. And God has given us that frustration so that we look for more, that we cry out for more, so that we know there must be more. And so throughout the Old Testament, we read how God is at work to bring harmony back again so that under his life-giving protective rule, the cosmos creation would once again thrive, that human beings would fulfill their calling to be those who are responsible to rule and reign over God's creation once again, to act for the good of others, to act for the good of creation and not to be self-serving. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see how God's plan starts to take shape. And he chooses a very unlikely person, Abraham. And from him starts to build what seems a very unlikely nation, Israel. Why? Because in the mystery of what God is doing, he's going to bring everything to completion. He's going to bring complete harmony back. But God doesn't work in the way we would expect. And so he chooses an unlikely man, a nomad in the desert, and builds an unlikely nation, the nation of Israel. And in the midst of them, we see that the prophets and the law and the kings give us glimpses of what it looks like when heaven and earth touch. But they just touch for a moment. They touch for a moment under David and Solomon's rule. They touch for a moment in the words of the prophets. They touch for a moment and then they separate again. And then God himself steps onto the stage. The zip is Jesus Christ. And he makes a connection again between heaven and earth. And that is what the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are all about. The reconnection point between the life-giving, protective rule of God and the cosmos. We shouldn't oversimplify things in terms of what the Bible is telling us in, in three chapters at the start of Genesis, which is a story of origins. It's, it's telling us about the most profound aspects of our reality. It tells us in story form in a few pages. And it does so because that means it's accessible to everybody. It's accessible to children. And yet, those pages have been studied and are still chewed over in deep detail, trying to understand what is the depth of the truth in that. That's the beauty of a story. The true, the big, the gospel story is the fact that it, as John's gospel has been described, it's, it's shallow enough for children to paddle in. It's deep enough for adults to throw themselves into and swim. The amazing thing is that Christ, by his death, reconnected heaven and earth. The resurrection body of Jesus Christ is the proof that this has happened. 
the resurrection body of Jesus Christ is not a resuscitated body brought back to life because Jesus was good or he'd done a good job. Let's not imagine that Jesus' body was somehow just brought back to life. That's to misunderstand what the Bible is all about. This is not a resuscitated body. This is a resurrected body. This is the first part of a new heaven and a new earth. And so in Christ, the connection comes. And the resurrection body is the proof that this new creation has started. And so the resurrection body of Jesus Christ is just at home in the visible realm as it is in the invisible realm. That's why in sitting in the house in Emmaus, they can break bread and eat, and Jesus can bless it and give to them, and then he's gone. That's how the disciples in the upper room, are. they have Thomas come in and, and touch his hands and side and feet, and then he's gone. The resurrection body of Jesus can eat fish, can be touched, can go from place to place, is not bounded by time, is not bounded by space, and is just as, as much at home in the visible realm as in the invisible realm. This is not our understanding or our experience of what a human body can do. And so the whole New Testament is about trying to understand what does all this mean? And the answer is that there is a reconnection between heaven and earth. And we're not imagining in this that the heaven just means the sky and the earth just means our planet. They are, they are words that are given us in a simple story to help us understand something very mysterious and something very complex. The earth stands for the whole created order, the whole cosmos, of which we know there are millions of galaxies and millions of universes. And heaven, we shouldn't imagine, is some physical located place just off the edge of the universe. Heaven is the reality where God's loving, perfect rule is universally accepted. And as we know, it's like just through the door. That's what C.S. Lewis was trying to tell us. It's like it's just through the door. And Christ can come and move in among us because heaven is close enough to touch. That's why the ascended body of Jesus was with his disciples, and then he was lifted up into heaven. Did he go to the outside of the universe? No, I don't think so. He stepped into a reality which is beyond our imagination. And what Christ is doing now by the power of his Holy Spirit, because the reason why Christ ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God was so that he could send the gift of his own presence to every human being in that creation. That he could once again, as it were, walk in the midst of creation, the cool of the day, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we believe that Christ's kingdom is unstoppable and that heaven and earth are irrevocably being joined together. 
The kingdom is growing and nothing and nothing and nothing can stop it. So what does that kingdom look like in our lives? Well, for us who are baptized into Christ, the place of joining heaven and earth is Christ. So if I had room for another uh, bit of paper here, it would be Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the one in whom, he's the zipper, he's the one in whom heaven and earth are being brought back together again. That's what the kingdom of God expanding and moving is all about. And so the only way we can be part of a new heaven and a new earth is to be in Christ. That's why we're baptized into Christ. Anakin Bishop was once asked by someone, Bishop, are you saved? And the bishop said, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. It's past tense, it's present tense, and it's future tense. And what the bishop meant was this, the connection has happened. I have been saved. That sin has been defeated. The consequences of sin have also been defeated, as we know from all the road signs that remind us that the wages of sin is death. In other words, if we live in the sinful brokenness of the world, we will experience death. But the resurrection body of Jesus Christ declares publicly for all of history to hear and to know that sin has been defeated, and we know that because death has been defeated. And that's how we know that heaven and earth are being brought back together, because sin is the realm of the universe without God. That's why we're born into original sin. It's not that we, it's not that we are sinners because we sin. We sin because we're, we are sinners because we're broken. We're into a broken and sinful world. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is moving among us, and so we believe it in this place, renewal is happening. And in this place, we meet Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit. And people come to faith in Christ, and people are healed, because the kingdom of the future is breaking into the present. I love the definition that uh, one writer has given to Christians. He says, we are people of the future who are living in the present. And what he meant was this, the day will come whenever Christ returns and heaven and earth are completely brought together. That's what the marriage in Revelation 21 is all about. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And what does the, the writer of John, of Revelation, see? He sees a wedding. And what does the wedding signify? It's the wedding of heaven and earth. It's the intertwining again of all things. And so the whole Bible is all about the remarriage of heaven and earth. So if anyone ever says to you, well, why did Jesus come? Jesus came to remarry heaven and earth together. He came to bring back the reality which we glimpse, the reality which is there's no death, no tears, no sickness, no disappointment, and no sin. So what the reality we're now living in is waiting for the second coming of Christ 
and living a life of renewal where we believe that by faith, by turning away from the brokenness and the sinfulness of life and turning towards Christ, that we are part of this renewal of all things. We actually get to actively participate for, by praying for healing, for standing up for justice, for telling people about Jesus Christ. We are actively participating in all things being brought back together until the wonderful completion of all things when Christ returns. And at the end, as it says in our creed, what will happen? That Christ will judge the living and the dead. It also says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Whose body are we talking about? We're talking about your body and my body. That's the third section of the Apostles' Creed. The second section deals with Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, raised by the Father on the third day. But the last part of the Apostles' Creed is not about the body of Christ. It's about your body and it's about my body. When we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body, we're talking about our bodies. And so the Bible tells us that what happens is that whenever Christ returns, Everybody, the living and the dead, will all be raised to life. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that just as Christ was raised, everybody will be raised. And why will we be raised? Why will the dead be raised? So that everyone can stand before Christ and be judged. And only those who are in Christ enter a new heaven and a new earth. So in the midst of the disappointment and the injustices of this world, we rejoice in the fact that justice will be done. Because Christ will return. And in the meantime, you and I are people of the future living in the present. All will be well. All will be remarried. And you and I are people who have the Spirit of Christ in us as a signpost of what the future holds. That's why we pray for healing now. I myself have experienced miraculous healing on a number of occasions. I've seen other people miraculously healed. I've seen people step from darkness to light and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I took that step myself when I was 14. God is at work. Everything is being restored. That's the wonderful truth of our reading today. That in Christ, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And that's why we shout hallelujah to the world. That's why we're people of hope and people of faith. And it's so important for us to step into this story in ever deeper measure. One of the reasons why we're, the main reason why we're doing this whole Immerse series over this next while, and on Wednesday we're going to start our reading the New Testament together, is that it is by stepping into the story that we step deeper into the place of God's will. Because the Bible is a story with Christ at the center that invites us to be part of that story. I think what the pandemic has done, it has shaken us and made us realize 
but part of the story in which we are living is not this story. You see, Christ shows that nothing can shake the person who is totally in the midst of this story. Not being beaten, not being betrayed, not being mocked, not being spat upon, not being crucified. Those things cannot shake the person who is fully in the midst of the story. So we are re-immersing ourselves in the midst of this story, beginning on Wednesday and over eight weeks to read the entire New Testament together. I believe wholeheartedly that in doing that, that it will have long-term spiritual, mental, and even physical consequences for us.